people use church for wrong reasons as well as right reasons. I like the sense of community. Yes. The problem with church... We live in social isolation a lot. Like, I never would be focused on that at all if it wasn't for my faith. Very, very welcoming to me. I feel a part of the community. The church is the hands and feet of Christ. Like, there's a reason why people do this. There is something to it, so... Connection and belief and faith. Loving everyone. I just got to ask, are you guys comfortable right there in those chairs, couches? Uh, if, if you need anything, just let me know. I'll get the ushers in here. They'll bring you a cup of coffee, something we want to take. The people around you are looking really jealous that you're getting to be in the couches. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more later. Uh, we're in our fifth week of a series that we're calling Why Church, where we've been asking the question week in and week out, why do we do this? Why do we do this thing called church? And what we've tried to help us understand is that why is a very powerful and important question. Because when we start to ask the question why we do something, it moves out of our head, just what we do and how we do it. It moves out of our head to our heart, our passion. What are the things that really drive us in life? Why church? I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning that I'm hoping will kind of poke a little bit at your why. Why is it that you come here? Let me ask you this question first. If you were to leave here and somebody were to ask you the question, how was the worship gathering at Journey today? How would you respond? Here's how I've heard those kinds of conversations go in the past. Oftentimes what people do is they start to think about all that they experienced and they begin to evaluate it whether or not I liked that or I didn't like that. You know, maybe you would walk out and if someone asked you how the worship gathering was, you'd be like, the band was amazing. They are so awesome. And I would 100% agree with you. They might say, bald guy, yeah, he tries. <laughs> base camp, my kids love base camp. Friendly, it seemed like it was kind of a friendly place. But we oftentimes, like I say, we look on the outside, what is happening? Do I like it or do I not like it? That's the flavor of those conversations often. Let me just give you a little bit of a warning. You're probably losing your why, if that's how you would evaluate a worship gathering. Let me ask you a second question that I think is kind of the, along the same lines, but kind of comes at a different angle a little bit. Let me ask you this question. Who's the audience here today? Just when you think about who the audience is today, what comes to your mind? My guess would be because of how we do most things in our culture is the people that sit in these rows, in your mind, you would say, that's the audience of a worship gathering. And the people that are up on stage, myself or the band or our host or people that are serving around here, uh, for lack of a better term, I would say they're the performers. And the audience gets to evaluate the performers because you're the audience, right? Let me challenge your thinking a little bit. You're not the audience here today. God and God alone is the audience of what we do here today. 
Now there's roles that we play if we stand on this stage that we want to point people to the worship of God. But hear me, friends, he is the only audience here today. So what does that mean? That means that you are on stage as well before God. God is wondering, how are you doing at worshiping me? So I think a better question for us is if we're leaving here and someone asks us, how would you evaluate the worship gathering at Journey? The question that you need to ask is not what did other people do, but you need to ask the question, how did I do? How did I do today at worshiping God? But I think that question begs another question. What is it that God wants from me? As if God, and I'm not saying that God's up there evaluating your worship. I don't know that that's how that happens, but he's engaged with you here. How is it? What is it that God wants from you? What is his why? What matters most to him? Now, he doesn't want this to be confusing to us. He wants us to understand what our why is, so we do it out of a heart of passion. Jesus, very, very clearly in the Gospels, described for all of us what is God's why. And he made it very, very simple for us. There was an engagement that he had with some religious leaders, and they were pressing him. They wanted to know the answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? It was another way for them to say, Jesus, what's the why? What's the most important thing for us to do? Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus made it really, really clear. He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you remember Brian's first sermon in this series, he talked about this text of scripture, the Shema from the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he also goes on to say the second is equally important. It's not just one, but there's another one that goes right alongside it. He said the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know what I love about what Jesus, this is like when I was in college and you just wanted to like, like what's gonna be on the test? Like what are the cliff notes? What do I really need to know? Jesus makes it really, really clear for us. If you can just keep a couple things in mind, you're gonna understand God's why. Love me, love people. Can we keep that straight? Love me, love people. This is the heart of God. This is God's why. So if one of those is that we would love God, and if we come here, and we're evaluating ourselves on our ability to be able to love God more. What does that look like for us? To love God, does that mean that we have some kind of warm, emotional, fuzzy feeling toward God? It could. I think emotions are important. I think it's great to feel that sense of grace and acceptance and love and connection with God. That is absolutely important. But you know how God defines love? Love. 
He says that love equals obedience. Love equals obedience. Here's how Jesus said it, as plain and as simple as he could. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, this is what's gonna be true. Obey my commandments. If you love me, simply obey my commandments. Friends, that's why at the end of the sermons that we have here, we try to create a little space for you to begin to ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? Holy Spirit, how are you nudging me? How are you prompting me? How do I walk out of these doors loving you by obeying whatever it is that you're asking me to do? We love God by obeying him. And I love what Jesus said in Luke 6, 46. He says, so why do you keep on calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Oh, a little convicting, isn't it? What Jesus said, you, you can walk in here you can sing these great songs that talk about who I am and what I'm like and our, and our heart for God. But he said, if, if you're gonna just raise your hands and say, Lord, Lord, but walk out of these doors and don't do what I'm asking you to do, that's not love. Love for him is that we learn to trust him. We think about who that God is like and we say, he is worthy of my life. If he's willing to die on a cross in my place, I can trust him. I want to follow him. Love equals obedience. Now, I want to be really, really clear here what I am not saying. What I am not saying is that your obedience to God causes God to love you. We're not talking about some kind of works type thing. Like, if I do this, then God loves me. Friends, you need to hear absolutely clearly, God loved you before you ever had any thought of who he was or what he'd done for you. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his kind of love, his amazing kind of love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still against God, maybe even actively shaking our fist at God or not even understanding anything about God. He died for us. That's God's kind of love. It's not our love or our obedience bringing God's love. It's our obedience is a response to this God that we love and we trust and we wanna follow. So we want to say yes to every nudge every prompting, anything that he would be saying to us, we want to say yes to it. And he says, that's how you love me. If you want to evaluate how you're doing, how a worship service was, ask yourself, how did I do at obeying what it was that God asked me to do? But that's only half of the equation, right? He says the other half of the equation, the second commandment that is just as important as the first one is love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love me but man, love people. In fact, you show your love for me by loving the things that I love. And God would say, I love people. All people. People matter to me. God would say, love what I love. So when you come in here and you think about what does it look like to worship God? Am I loving people? 
Am I engaging with people in any way? Am I allowing people to see, I see you. You matter. Is there any way that I can help you? Can I encourage you? Is there a way that we can bear one another's burdens? Getting engaged in each other's lives, asking questions, caring for one another. Love God, love people. When you walk out of here and someone asks you, how was worship? You say, how did I do? How did I do at loving God, obeying him, and loving people, loving what God loves? And friends, because God cares so much about how we love one another, that's why for the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about what Brian said, the in movement, this spiritual family. We talked about the up, hearing, responding to the voice of God, but we need to talk about the end. What does it mean for us to be a spiritual family? Why is this part of God's why? Why is this so important to him? Three things we're gonna look at today. It's important to God because this idea of a spiritual family, it's rooted in God's image. It's how we grow and it's rooted in the gospel, the very good news itself. Spiritual family. This isn't just something that God wants for us. This is part of who God is. When we go back to the very, very beginning and we think about this God of creation, this God that is working through redemption, we need to always remember that this is a God that exists as a triune God. God exists in his essence as a spiritual family. This is how the Bible says it at the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse 26, when it's talking about the creation, the creation story, making of us. Here's what the text says. Then God said, let us, plural. God exists as a plural. One essence, three persons, that is who God is. Let us make human beings in our image, plural, to be like us. God wants us to be like him. You see, God exists as a spiritual family. As he even tries to describe this idea of the Trinity to us, and there's an incredible mystery and complexity to the Trinity, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I wanted to unpack that with you, and it just got too dense and too thick so I'm gonna bypass that, but there's an incredible complexity and mystery in the Trinity, but this in its essence is who God is. One God in three distinct persons, and he describes himself as a father, a son, and the Holy Spirit. He describes himself in family terms. That's why this is so important to him. He wants us to understand family, father, son, and that crazy fun uncle Holy Spirit that just creates all kinds of fun stuff for us in life. Family terms. I used to always think about, as a new believer, like what, what was God doing before he made everything? And honestly, this was kind of the picture that I had in my mind. I kind of pictured God as out there alone, just incredibly lonely, maybe just kind of twiddling his thumbs. What am I gonna do? Maybe I should make something. And this is where creation comes in. Friends, you need to understand, God has never, ever been alone. 
He has existed eternally in a love relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this mutual dance of love relationship and mutually glorifying one another. That is in the essence who God is. I love how theologians often describe this eternal love relationship as a dance. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit mutually loving, mutually glorifying one another. It's a dance. And here's why this is so incredible and critical for us to understand our why. If the God who made everything, who made us and made us in his image exists in his essence as a spiritual family, that means that spiritual family love relationships is what life is all about. That's what matters most, more than anything else that we can chase in this life. Learning to live in relationships of love, learning to love God and to just love people in crazy and extravagant ways, this is what life is all about. You can try to chase other things. People do all the time. They think life's about money. I'm gonna chase money. I'm gonna chase possessions. I'm gonna chase power, achievement, experiences, pleasure, self-actualization, Anything related to self, anything that turns our life inward to ourself and away from love relationships is gonna take us down a road that we are gonna eventually hit a dead end. Because if a triune God, a spiritual family who is a God created us, this is what life is all about, relationships. And I know January seems like a long ways away, but I'm already really excited about the series Brian and I are gonna do in January. If this is what life is all about, if life is about relationships, we've got to talk about how do we navigate all the kinds of relationships that we have in our life. Friendships, dating relationships, sex, marriage, parenting, work relationships, all these, we've got to talk about those and we're going to. I'm already excited for January. Did I hear an amen out there? All right. I like that. I want us to become one of those kind of churches where there's lots of amens and stuff. So feel free, feel free. Maybe, there you go, I love it. Is that Joe? That's gotta be Joe. Spiritual family, it's God's why. Why we do what we do. If God is a family, his deepest desire is for us to become a family. It's on the heart of Jesus more than you can ever imagine. And that's why in John 17, when Jesus is praying, and he's praying, friends, he's praying for you. Not not you in general, you specifically. This is what he prays. John 17, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So he's praying for those men and women that are there with him. But he's also praying for us. Anyone that will ever come to faith in Jesus through their message. If you're here today and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is praying for you. And this is what is at his heart for you. He says, I pray that they will all be one 
Just as you and I are one, speaking of him and the Father, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He goes on. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May their experience, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them, that you love them as much as you love me. So Jesus is praying for us then and right now that we would be one. And there's something that's gonna happen when that dance of the Trinity, that mutual love, mutual glorifying one another becomes a part of us, the world is gonna say, what is going on? Jesus is saying, the world will know that Jesus sent me. It'll be the greatest testimony to the world. He wants us to dance the same way that he dances. And he invites us into that dance because it's who he is. It's God's image. But the second thing is, is that this spiritual family that Jesus talks about, this is God's vehicle to help us grow in our relationship with him. That our life would start to change. That we would become more like Jesus. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. Paul says, instead, we will, speak we will speak the truth in love, growing in, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. It's about us growing to become more like Christ. How? How's he gonna do that? Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body, the whole body, everyone is healthy and growing and full of love. If you wanna grow, if you wanna grow in your faith, what Paul is saying right here is that people are God's plan for that. People are not plan B. God's got this plan A out there somewhere. People are God's plan A. We need people to grow. Like a jungle cat, huh, Serena? A couple weeks ago, maybe a little bit more than a couple weeks ago, it was one of those days in life where the anxiety level in my heart was just growing and growing, and I couldn't figure out why. And I just need you to know that I probably my personality is such that I, I kind of tend toward anxiety a little bit anyway. Like I'm one of those guys that if you text me or email me and tell me, I'd like to talk to you about something, I'm not going to assume that you want to tell me how much you love me or how awesome things are going in life right now. I'm going to start this internal conversation that goes something like, what did I do wrong? What are they going to talk to me about? I just think I'm naturally bent toward anxiety. And so imagine if, if that's a little bit my bent, 
And this is my job. I'm working around a church with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of challenges. And that's just my work life. Just like you, I'm trying to navigate the real challenges of my marriage. How do we become one the way Jesus wants us to become one? I'm trying to raise teenagers. (laughs) Anxiety. (laughs) Feel that for a day or two. There's lots of things that can bend me toward anxiety. And so when I'm sitting there, I'm in this place where I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm looking out at the landscape of my life. And honestly, I don't know where this is coming from. It's like, this could come from one of a hundred places in my life. And so I'm doing everything that I know to do. It's like, God, would you just help me? Would you just do something? Would you just zap me? Would you take this anxiety away? I mean, I know what the scriptures say. Be anxious for nothing, right? But in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right, you've probably heard that. You've probably underlined that. You've probably read that a time or two. I had no peace, much less a peace that passes understanding. Just wallowing in anxiety. And here's what made it challenging for me. That night was the night that there's a group of leaders that I get together with around our church and every couple of weeks, we just sit down and we talk about what does it look like for us to learn to follow Jesus and obey him and become disciples of him and to make disciples That was that night. And I started to look at what was happening in me internally and I started to say, I don't think I have what it takes to lead this meeting tonight. Like everything in me thought, I just don't want to be a part of this tonight. And as I was praying and asking God, God, what do you want me to do? The only thing that kept coming to my mind is he just kept nudging me, you need to tell them what's going on. You need to tell them what's happening underneath the surface in your life. And the first thought that came to my mind was, nope, (laughs) not gonna do that. Pride in me, it's like, ah, I wanna be the leader. I wanna wanna have it all together. I'm I'm just gonna push through. Uh, But the Lord wouldn't let it go. And so I just said, okay, Lord, when we get together and we gathered around in a group like this, we were actually out on my deck and around a table. I wanted to be obedient to what I felt like God was asking me to do. So I just started to lay it out there. It's like, I'm super anxious. I don't know that I have a lot of capacity to lead. So uh, I just want to ask if you would pray for me. And a buddy of mine was sitting over here named Andy. And he began to pray. And just, and this is what he prayed. He just said, God, would you show Bob what it is in his heart that is causing this anxiety? And he was just quiet. And we sat there, my head was bowed and my eyes were closed and I was just like wanting to be responsive to the Lord Uh, and the Lord showed up in a unique way he began to show me some things that were in my heart not good things jealousy insecurity fear all these things were what were stirring up this anxiety in me and in my heart and my mind it made sense why I was feeling anxious So I was like, Lord, I need your help in this. Would you meet me in this? Then the Lord prompted me again. He said, you need to tell them what's going on in your heart. And my response was, nope, I'm not gonna do that. Um, But by the time we were done praying, I lifted my eyes and 
I know that my eyes were full of tears because it was, it was hard. I just thought, I don't want to be naked in front of them emotionally and personally. Yeah, not physically naked, if that's why you laugh. <laughs> For sure not that. But even especially emotionally naked, needy in front of people. But I did. And I just want to tell you that earlier in that day, I'd just been praying, God, zap me. Take the anxiety away. Take the anxiety away. Take the anxiety away. Nothing happened. But in that moment, as I was just honest with them and talked about the things that were in my heart through my tears, people began to minister to me. People around that table began to speak truth into my life, tell me things that were true about me, good and bad, things that I needed to hear. But there were people that were willing to affirm me to come alongside and let me feel the acceptance of God. And now I think about those two experiences all day long. I just wanted God to zap me. But what God was saying is, I've got something for you. There's a vehicle that I want to use to change your life and its people. Like that day, God wasn't separate from what was happening there. God was right there. He was in those people. It was like God was wearing them as a uniform in a way that I could feel and experience the love and the acceptance of God. This is what I believe Paul is talking about here. This idea of experiencing truth and love as a body, as we unite together. That's what's gonna bring change into our lives. That's what God wants for us. We'd be open and vulnerable. Friends, people aren't plan B in God's mind. People are plan A. That's why spiritual family matters so much to him. We've got to be connected to the life that he wants to bring to us and he wants to bring it through people. But here's what's hard for me because I know that this is true. I'm so grateful that on that night in my desperate need that there were a group of people around me that God could use. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has that in this life. But friends, that's what we need. Here's the picture that I want you to have of what it is that I believe that God wants for us. I want you to think about a campfire. And this morning as I was talking about a campfire, uh, I really got kind of bugged because I didn't go camping enough this summer and I think we're done. <laughs> but when I do get to go camping, the thing I love the most is a campfire. The opportunity to light a fire, put wood on there and just watch it glow. Watch the warmth and the flames and I get my little poker stick and I do everything I can to pull those logs together. Because when you pull them together, the fire gets bigger and the fire gets warmer. This is a picture, I believe, of what God wants for us. He wants us to find a campfire. People that we can be connected to, that can know the things that are going on in our life so that we can experience the warmth and the glow of a fire. We need a campfire. But here's what I also know is true. Campfires sometimes can be a little bit smoky 
and a little bit stinky and sometimes you get burned. We're gonna talk about that a little more. But God wants us to have a campfire, people that in our life we're connected to, that we can be as a group, as a unity, invited in to the dance. The spiritual family of the Trinity invites us with them as a spiritual family. We need a campfire, people that will help us keep our own spiritual fire lit. The last thing that I think is so true about God's heart desire for a spiritual family is that it reflects the gospel, the good news of Jesus. If, if you were here last week, and I hope you were, if not, go back and listen to Brian's sermon. It was fantastic. He talked about the very end of Jesus' life when he was in the garden praying to the Father, and he's looking at the cross. He's looking at what's ahead of him. And there's fear, there's anxiety, and he's saying to the Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way to take this cup of suffering away from me? But ultimately, he says, but not my will, but your will. Again, the model is he loved God by his obedience. Not my will, but your will. And he moved to the cross. He went to the cup of suffering. But I want us to think a little bit about the suffering that he endured and I want you to understand this. I think so many times, especially if you've seen movies like The Passion of the Christ, we oftentimes think about the biggest suffering that Jesus experienced was the physical suffering, the beatings, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion. Jesus was silent during the physical agony of the crucifixion. But there was a time when Jesus hung on that cross that he screamed. What did he scream? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus was afraid of. For the first time in all of eternity, the son who had experienced this dance of the Trinity, this connection with the heart of God, this spiritual family was cut off. He was forsaken. He was isolated. He was forsaken, friends, so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken. He was isolated. The Father turned his face away from Jesus so that we wouldn't have to be isolated. Jesus was cut off from the dance so that we could join the dance so that Jesus, following his resurrection, could reach out through time and eternity and extend his hand to us and say, come dance. Come dance with us. Come dance with the Trinity. It's at his heart, this dance of the spiritual family. That's why it matters so much to him that we learn to grow and become that kind of spiritual family with one another but I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's not that easy, is it? For us to get to that place, friends, where we experience the kind of family that God wants for us, it's not an easy on-ramp, always. That campfire, like I said, sometimes campfires are smoky and stinky and sometimes we get burned. 
But God says the first thing that we need to do, the risk that we need to take is that we need to become relational. We need to move toward people. You might even be saying like, I'm introverted. Like I, I I just can't be around a lot of people. That's okay. God has called you to love people. Just love them one at a time. Introverts don't get a pass. But we need to move toward people with open hearts. Become relational. A second thing that we need to build into our life, a second log for our campfire, is we've got to build regular rhythms of spending time together. This kind of experience that we have of being a spiritual family, we can't do this just two or three times a year and hope that our lives are gonna be changed. We've got to figure out, how do I organize my life and my schedule to create regular opportunities to be with the people of God so that God can minister to me through them and that I can minister to them as well. We've got to build regular rhythms in our life. A third thing that we need to do, friends, is we just gotta be real. It doesn't do any good for us to just hang out with people, talk about hunting, talk about shopping, talk about what we're watching on television. We've gotta open up the curtain of our life, let the light of God's truth shine into our heart and share that with each other. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We've got to get real with each other if our lives are gonna change. We've gotta be real. And the last thing that I think needs to be true if Journey Church is gonna become the spiritual family that God wants us to be, is that those that have this, there might be some of you in here that you just be like, hey, I've got everything that you're talking about. I've got those kind of people in and around my life, and it's awesome. Here's what you need. Here's the risk that you need to take. You need to risk reaching out to others. Friends, look around you. If you have this, I promise you, There are people on all sides of you here today that don't have this. Reach out. Say, come dance. Come dance with us in our campfire. There's room for you. We've got room for you there. Those are the things that have to become true of us, Journey. If our why is gonna match the why of God, we've gotta be relational. Relational environments. We've got to build regular rhythms of being together. Like Brian said, Sunday's not enough, not even close. And we've got to get real. No more pretending, no more masks. We all have problems. We're all going through stuff. Let's just be honest about it. Talk to each other about it. And friends, we've got to reach out. We can't just say, I've got my peeps. Good luck you getting yours. We've got to reach out. Everybody needs a campfire. Everybody needs a circle. I want to ask you to put your things aside. And as I promised, as we end these times together, I want to give the Holy Spirit, who's dancing in the Trinity right now, an opportunity to speak into your heart. What is it that God would want you to do? What is he saying to you? It's probably different for every person that's here, but what is the God of the universe saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? How are you gonna walk out of here and take at least one step of obedience? What's my next step of obedience? Jesus, I just wanna say thank you that you prayed that prayer for us. 
that we would be one like you and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus, would you show us? Show us what we need to do to live that out so the world would look at us as we dance with you and dance with each other that they would say, God is alive. Something is at work in those people. Jesus, we need your help in this. It seems hard, it seems uphill, but because you prayed it, I believe. I believe that you want it to happen and I wanna be an answer to your prayer. Jesus, what do you want me to do? We love you, we trust you, and Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.